Today's scripture reading comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. This is the word of God. Good morning, everyone. My name is Andrew. Welcome to worship. It's always an honor to preach the Word of God here at Metro. Today, we're going to be closing out our sermon series on our core values, specifically on movement. Last week, we preached on the ascension of Christ, how important that was for us to have Christ in full and to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, we'll be preaching on Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. It's a very famous passage on the Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes down and dwells in the disciples. See, he's the power that the disciples receive to continue the work of Christ. And he brings unity by uh, speaking through the disciples. And this passage tells us that the gospel can be translated in different languages and different cultures. We're going to see that in two movements. First point is the dissension of the Holy Spirit. The second is the expansion of the church. The dissension and the expansion. First point, the dissension. In verse 1, it says, When the day of the Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, the first question we must ask is, what is the Pentecost? Pentecost in the Old Testament were also known as Feast of Weeks or the Feast of the First Fruit. It's one of the three major holidays for the Jews that they celebrated. It happens 50 days after Passover. And basically, it's a tradition where they bring the first fruit of wheat harvest where they presented to God because, you know, it's a remembrance of how much God gave to them. Now, to give you a little bit more context of, uh, the, of, our, of our passage, it says they were all together in one place. All probably means 120 disciples according to Acts 1 verse 15. And together in one place is probably the upper room near the temple according to Acts 1 verses 13, uh, verse 13. Now, in the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down, and there's three big phenomena, three big signs or miracles. And the first one is uh, in verse 2, where it says, Suddenly a sound like a blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. In Hebrew or Greek, the word for spirit can be translated as wind or breath. And throughout the Old Testament, uh, God presents himself in the form of wind. For example, in Genesis 2, it says, God formed man by breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. 
And Ezekiel 37, it was breath of God uh, that breathed on the dry bones and was filled with new life. So symbolically, wind is, you know, represented by the Holy Spirit, that God is present. And that's the first sign. The second sign is fire. In verse 3, it says, They saw what seems to be the tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. At the same time, when you see fire, that also represents uh, the presence of God. When God first appeared in front of Moses, He appeared in front of Moses uh, as a burning bush. And in Exodus 13, there was a pillar of fire that guided the Israelites uh, during the Exodus so that they could travel by day and by night. However, uh, I wanted to focus on Exodus 19 because in order for you to really understand these signs and miracles, you have to understand the first Pentecost that was held in Exodus 19 at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is a wilderness and it's a Pentecost because it was approximately 50 weeks, uh, excuse me, 50 days after the Exodus where the God passed over them. But in verse 16 to 20, it says that there was a sound of a very loud trumpet, a blast, and smoke surrounding Mount Sinai. It's, and right off the bat, there's a similarity to that passage to our passage today. First, there's a sound of trumpet as there was a sound of rushing wind. There is a cloud of smoke wrapped around Mount Sinai because God came down on it in fire. And to our passage, there's tongues of fire. What well, seems like appears to be like a tongue of fire. And to summarize what's going on, there's 120 disciples in the upper room near the temple, and there's a sound of rushing wind that filled the room. I don't know exactly what this experience was like, but it must have been powerful because all of them felt it. And what appears to be tongues of fire rested on them, but they weren't destroyed. And there is the difference between Exodus 19 and our passage today. Because in Exodus 19, they couldn't, they couldn't come near the mountain. When God spoke, they were afraid. They couldn't stand it. So the Israelites went to Moses and was like, please don't let God speak to us directly because we will perish. So Moses had to go up the mountain of Mount Sinai and he became the mediator. God only communicated through Moses, the priest. But it's different because in Acts 2, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, but they weren't destroyed. They had direct access. They were filled and they began to speak in other tongues. In verse 4, it says, They were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is a very famous passage. And when people read it, most people think, that the point of this passage is on the gift of being able to speak in different languages or tongues. But if you read verse 4 carefully, who is doing the speaking? It's the Holy Spirit. It says, as the Spirit gave them utterance, it was the work of the Spirit that drew people in, not the work of the disciples. Right? So the gift, the miracle that we must really focus on is not the fact that they could speak in different tongues, but the fact that we have God Himself. That's the miracle. Because throughout the Old Testament, if God showed Himself, people perished. People couldn't stand it. But the greatest miracle of all is that God came down and dwelled in us 
and we didn't perish, that the, the disciples didn't perish. They have full access. This means they know him intimately. This means they, they know him and they're, they're known by him. The power of the Holy Spirit is inside of them, and because of that, they could spread the gospel and expand. This leads us to our second point, the expansion. In verse 5, it says, Now they are staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Verse 6, When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Let's talk about what language is, what it represents. A language is a system of communication. But it's so much more than that. When you think of language, you think of culture. When you think of culture, you think of where you grew up in, right? What, uh, where, uh, where you're from, uh, you, uh, the norms that you, lo uh, you learned, and the places that you've been, the virtues, the values, the morals, which means in our church, there are people who came from all around the world, all around the country. So there are a lot of people in our church that speaks different languages. There are work languages where you speak to your boss differently the way you speak to your friends. There are slangs, you know. There are people who says water instead of water, depending on where you're from. And, you know, see, there's so many different ways we communicate and we re relate. But they were bewildered because they each heard them speak in, their, in his own language. And this is where God is saying, the passage is saying, the gospel is translatable and it, it transcends any culture and it transcends any language, any barriers. And the way he does that is through you. Because in verse 7, it says, Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Verse 7 points out that they were Galileans. According to one commentator, Galileans were uh, known as uncultured. They were looked down upon by many people in Jerusalem, but God uses them, right? So God is using the Galileans to communicate the gospel to people in their own native language. This means that no matter what you think you are, where you think you are in your social status, uh, where you think you are in your life stage or spiritual maturity, God can use you to spread the gospel in your own language. See that? This means sharing the gospel to our friends uh, in our workplace. We have the power to do that in a way that they would understand. We have the power to share the gospel to our co-workers the way they would understand. We have the power to share the gospel to our family the way they would understand. Gospel transcends all age, culture, gender, and ethnicity. See that? Christianity is the most translatable religion in the whole world. And not the language of the Hebrew or the Greek, but in its relatability to all cultures. Christianity is the most diverse cult, uh, religion in the world. And the way we could prove that is verse 9 through 11. Because in verse 9 through 11, there are 16 nations that come together. And in some ways, this is a reversal of Genesis 11, because in Genesis 11, there's a Tower of Babel where there was a division because of arrogance of people. They said, let us build a city and a tower with its top in the heaven and make a name for ourselves. They're arrogant and proud, and God judged them by separating them, by scattering them. 
by confusing their language. But in our passage, although they're different nations, they're 16, they came together and there was unity. A few weeks ago, one of our pastors preached on this passage in Genesis 11, and he said, God values diversity. And it's true. You know, there's beauty in diversity, beauty in different cultures and norms, but there's a disconnect. Because God values diversity, but not division. I wonder how many of you guys feel like you can't really relate to your parents, maybe even your children. How many of you guys feel like you can't really relate to your coworkers? How many of you guys feel like you can't really relate to uh, people in this church? There's a disconnect. And our passage today tells us that the power of the Holy Spirit came down and dwelled in the disciples. You see, there's power and strength to go reach out to our neighbors. And there's, there's a way to connect in a way that we've never been before. But we don't do that. We don't go out because oftentimes we're afraid. We're afraid that people may not like us, that people might reject us. Afraid that people um, may think that we're not smart enough, good enough. Uh, there's insecurity and there's a lack of power. And the thing is, friends, there, we will be right to be insecure if we, take, if we talk about our works, our righteousness, and our hearts, but... If you look at this passage carefully, what drew people in? What drew people uh, to the crowd? What drew a crowd? What gathered people? What was the message that they were hearing in their own native language that made them so bewildered, so amazed? In verse 11, it says, the wonders of God. It was the gospel. Wonders of God could be also translated as the mighty work of God. See that? We're called to declare the wonders of God, not the wonders of our status. We're called to boast in God's work, not boast in our work. Uh, we're called to scatter for the sake of the gospel, not be ingrown as the people were in the Tower of the Babel. But at Babel, earth proudly tried to ascend to heaven, whereas in Jerusalem, heaven humbly descended to earth. And there is the reversal of the curse in Genesis 11. And this is what makes Exodus 19, the first Pentecost, so different from this passage. Because Moses went up on the mountain to become the mediator for the Israelites. However, we have another man, a greater man, who went up on the mountain of Calvary to be our ultimate mediator. When the Israelites sinned, Moses prayed for them, interceding. But our mediator not only prayed, but died because of our sin. You see the wonders and the mighty work of God that people were hearing and bewildered by was Jesus going to the cross and fulfilling, taking the punishment that we deserve and giving us the status as the children of God. Because on the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. Jesus was empty so that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit. On the cross, Jesus lost his access to God. And the veil, because of that, the veil was torn from the top to bottom. And the flame of the holiest of holies is now dwelling in us who believes. And it won't destroy us. 
on the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus took the wrath of God so that we might be accepted by him. If you are from a fear-based culture, there's freedom in the gospel because you are accepted by God. If you're from a shame-based culture, there's honor in the gospel because you have the righteousness of God. If you are from a work-based culture, there's rest in the gospel because, friends, we are saved by works. Just not ours. The wondrous, mighty work of God gives us true rest. Verse 12, it says, Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? And in verse 13, people thought they were drunk at 9 a.m. in the morning. They thought they were uh, crazy. But they were so full of joy, so full of life, that there was no insecurity because the assurance of being known by God made them more free more courageous and more joyful. In Exodus 19, there was smoke, right? There was anxiety and there was darkness. In our passage today, there's joy, there's peace and celebration. You see, one of the greatest things that we can receive is being known by God. We know God, we're known by God, and there's intimacy because He dwells in us. One of my favorite uh, one of my favorite TV show is a TV show called Modern Family. It's very short, light. I think it's really funny. In one of the episodes, uh, one of the couples in that show, Claire and Phil, uh, they've been married. Uh, basically, they've been married for twenty years, and and Claire couldn't sleep one night because she was full of anxiety. She, in the middle of the night, she wakes up Phil, and she said, and she starts confessing. She says, Phil, ah. I feel like, well, I'm afraid that I'm not fun enough for you. My sayings aren't cute. My jokes aren't funny. Uh, I feel like you're going to get sick of me when you realize how truly crazy I am. And Phil was like, really? And Claire was like, yeah. And Phil looked at Claire and he's like, honey, I already know how crazy you are. And see, God knows how crazy you are. God knows how crazy we all are. How sinful we are. He, in fact, He actually knows how sinful we are more than we know ourselves. But yet, God chose to come down and He wanted to know us. And He gives us that security. Because knowing that we are accepted by God, even though He knows everything about us, changes everything. That is what we are called to spread. That is the power of the Holy Spirit now that we have, that we could share to our neighbors. Because we're called to tell people not that we have accomplished much, but that Christ has finished. We're called to tell people not how good we are, but how great Christ is. And we're called to tell people not how to get in, but that if you believe in Christ, you're already in. Our job is to invite our friends, family, and everyone around us to come and see for themselves what the gospel is all about. Church, can you imagine what it would be like if we all did that? 10, 20, 50, 100 of us 
Can you imagine what it would be like if all of us did that in our, in our daily lives on a daily basis? The city will change. There will be growth. There'll, the gospel will be spread. And this is how the Holy Spirit expands the church. This is how Jesus continues his work in us through the Holy Spirit. So friends, let us, let us tell everyone the wondrous work of God to our city. Will you pray, will you pray with me?